I want to thank you all for being here today. Um, I'm just grateful that you are here today. I want to thank our guests who are here today with us. We're glad to have you in the building today with us at Victory. Uh, we're starting a new series entitled um, From Broke Down to Breakthrough. From Broke Down to Breakthrough. And a whole gist of our series is, is actually what it says. We come to a point where we are broken. We are broken before the Lord. And the truth is, He wants that brokenness because He has a plan to mold us into what He needs us to be. And that's when you see the true breakthrough. The breakthrough is not always, man, I got $100 or I got $1,000 or I got the diagnosis. The breakthrough, true breakthrough, is when we have submitted ourselves to Lord Jesus Christ. And then afterwards, all the blessing that will flow after that. That's the breakthrough. And so today, we're going to be in Psalms 51. Psalms 51, uh, the prayer of the brokenhearted. And I want us to give a little background in this. Psalms 51, 15 to 17 says, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou will not despise. God is not asking, and, and you will never hear in this church, if you don't get to the Lord, you ain't going to get nothing. Because that's not what God is concerned about. He's not concerned about all the offering that you can give. He's concerned about your heart. Where, where dwells in the heart is where your life is going to flow out of. What's in your heart. And so we have a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. The, the background of this is David is talking about a situation. Oh, David got into some mess. David has gotten into some mess. And we're going to go sin by sin. David who we know was called a man after God's own heart. And David's at a point in time where he is so successful, he does not even have to go out to the battlefield because his army is that successful. So he, when kings should be going out to war in that season, he decides to stay at home. And he stays at home, and he's at his palace, and he's at his palace, and he looks, and he sees a friend's wife bathing. And he doesn't just look like, ooh, that's Uriah's wife. He looks like, mm, Uriah's wife. Mm, mm, mm. And David may have looked at Uriah's wife before, but at this point in time, he saw Uriah's wife in such a way that he said, I gotta have her. It talks about, now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. Now understand, David at this time, he has a lot of wives. It's not like he was hurting on the women's tip. He, he had his women. But David had arose from his bed in that evening. He had got up and like, mm, there's a woman over there taking a bath and she's looking good. And so David sent and inquired about the woman. He got one of his servants and said, is that, this not Bathsheba? So that's telling you who he was looking at. He knew who he was looking at. 
Is that not Bathsheba, the daughter? And I'm sorry, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. Now, there's something that, before we get to verse 5, so David committed adultery. That's his first sin. He committed adultery. Verse 5 is not the sin. Sometimes we get that confused. That the woman conceived and she sinned, told David and said, I am pregnant. We make that the sin many times. That's not, well, not the sin. That's not the sin. A baby is never going to be a sin. The sin was the act itself. And understand, Bathsheba had few choices. She was called by the king to lay in the king's bed. Now, could she have tried to disobey? Yes. But life was on the line. Now, she still had a choice, though. Still had a choice. Always remember that. It's a hard choice, but she had a choice. Now, David was trying to take all her choices from her. He did not care. Now, Uriah was his friend. Was somebody who worked for David. Somebody who, on this Memorial Day, we say this is a soldier. And when you see how Uriah comes back, and Uriah doesn't know any of this going on. When you see how Uriah acts, and you see versus Uriah and David, you see what was a good man. David, in this action, is not a good man. It's not that the fact, that's one of the facts that he laid with his friend's wife, but he was already looking at his friend's wife. That's why you have to watch who you with. You have to watch who you with. So the first sin was adultery. The second sin, now David's going to lie. David sent to Joab, saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. Now I also want you to understand, Uriah is not even an Israelite. But he's, he's working for a country, and he believes in David and what he's doing, and he believes this. But Uriah is not Jewish. Uriah is not, him and David are not cousins. So you have somebody from a foreign land who believes what David said. He probably been with David for years. This was not the first time he talked to David. He's known David. He said, so Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked concerning the welfare of Joab and the people and the state of war. You know, now I'm going to act like uh, I really care about what's going on out there. First of all, I didn't care enough because I was with your wife. But I'm going to act like I'm with your uh, wife. Now, for some folks, this is like, this old and so popular. This is younger wrestlers in the game and everything in between. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out to the king's house and present and, and a present from the king was sent out after him. Sent him a little present. Why don't you go home? You came back from the battlefield. Go home, Uriah. I'm going to give you a little gift. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. He's been out on the battlefield, he's been away. You could say he went to, to California and he's been gone. And so when his boss comes back, he does not even come home. He goes straight to his boss and hears everything he has to say. And when his boss gives him the, the opportunity to go home, he says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. 
And now when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said, Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark in Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in an open field. Shall I then go to my house and eat and drink and to lay with my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do such a thing. I want you to understand what David's looking at. David's like, man, you're right. You just won't do what I want you to do. I want to see the contrast. Well, one man stayed in his bed and got up and looked at his wife and then ordered that his wife come and lay with him. That this other man, Uriah, is saying, there are other folks suffering and I will not, I will not partake of the good time. Now, a lot of us, we would took part, we would, we've been at the house. You know, we're not eating well at the battlefield. They're in the open field. They have no shelter. And then Uriah even talks back, look at the ark. We don't even have a temple for this ark. How am I, if God don't have a house, how should I be at my house? That's what he also bringing forth. If God does not have a house, how am I going to be at my house, David? No, I'm not going to do that. So then David said to Uriah, stay here today also, and tomorrow I will let you go. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. So he lied to Uriah. He's committed adultery with your wise wife. Now David called him and he ate and drank before him. And he made him drunk. So now we're getting part two. I tried to get you down there. Now I want to get you drunk. And in the evening he went out and lay on his bed with the Lord, his Lord's servants. But he did not go down to his house. Even in a drunken state, I'm still loyal to the plan. I'm still loyal to the mission. David was sober in everything he did. Many times we want to use our time in, in sin. You know, we can go to the courthouse and like, I have an insanity plea. Or I, or I, was, I was drunk. I, I, I wasn't in control of my, of my faculties. Uriah trying to tell you here. No, I still was on my purpose even though I got drunk by the king's hand. So now we have murder. So David's committed adultery, he's lied, and now David, the man of God, is going to commit murder. Now in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and said, and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He had written in the letter saying, place Uriah in the front line of the fiercest battle and withdraw from him so that he may be struck down and die. He's saying, look, I want you to set him up. I want us to get in the fist of the battle, and all y'all back off him and let him get mobbed. I don't want y'all to just kill him in his sleep. I don't want you to poison him. I want y'all to go ahead and let him get mobbed. I want you to understand how David, at some point in time, some people could look at him as a, a, a rapist. And because he made this woman come to his home, you could look at David as some kind of philanderer, somebody who's trying to hustle him. And now David is saying, I want y'all to basically let the folks lynch him. This was David who wrote Psalm 23. But sometimes when we get in some mess, we go all the way down in some mess. But it starts off with just a little bit. It starts off with just that small, I got out my bed and I looked. It just started that small. And look where David's gone to. So it was as Joab kept watch over the city. 
And I want you to also back up. Could, could David have told Uriah? Uriah was so loyal, you never know. Many of these politicians today, Jonathan Edwards and so forth, they have folks trying to cover like, that's my baby. That, that baby don't look like you. We could do more in here. That baby don't look like you. Not saying Uriah, but see, David, he's, I got a reputation. I, I can't let folks know this. I can't let you know this, how deceitful, how evil I've been. I can't, I can't let you know this. So instead, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. So it, was at, so it was that Joab kept watch on the city. They put Uriah at the place where he knew there were valiant men. The men of the city went out and fought against Joab, and some of the people among David's servants fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Joab sent and reported to David all the events of the war. He charged the messenger, saying, When you have finished telling all the events of the war to the king, and if it happens that the king's wrath rises, and he says to you, Why did you go so near to the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abelak, the son of, excuse me, Jebethus, excuse me, did not a woman throw an upper milestone on him from the wall so that he died at Tebaz? Why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say, Your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. He's saying, why would you do this bad battle plans? Basically, David, I carried out the setup for you. Other folks had to die. And so I want you to understand, there were other people who died because of David. David just didn't kill Uriah, but some other people had to die because of David's sin. Because David was trying to do a cover-up. Some other folks had to die besides just Uriah. And so the messenger departed and came and reported to David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, The men prevailed against us and came out against us in field, but we pressed them as far as the entrance to the gate. More of the archers shot at your servants from the wall. So some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah, the Hittite, is also dead. Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Make your battle against the city stronger and overthrow it, and so encourage him. Kind of like that. Cool. Now go get the. Now y'all can go win. I want y'all to to do the setup this day. Now we know we can go win. Go win. Now when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. When the time of mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. And she became his wife. Then she bore him a son. But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. This is the thing. When we get to Psalm 51, David has been now confronted by Nathan. Because David has been walking around. It's been nine months later. Baby's been born. It's been nine months later. People have forgotten. You know, I'm helping out. Uh, there was a friend of mine I'm trying to help him out. I brought his wife into my home. So that we're going to make it look good. Don't we at times try to make our sin look good? Don't we at times try to cover up? Especially on a Sunday morning. Many of us, uh, including myself, we got a junkie car through Monday through Saturday. But we're going to come to church on Sunday. No folk may look in your car. It's going to be clean. But you know the truth is you keep a junkie car. Some of us keep a junkie life and we pretend on Sunday morning that, oh, you know, I'm holy. David 
was pretending that, you know what, I got it all together. I got it all together. And it wasn't until Nathan came to me and Nathan gave him a parable and said, you know, David, if there was a man who, who had all these sheep, and there was one man that had one lamb, and that one man had all these sheep, blessed by the Lord, and that one man took that lamb, what would you say about that man? You said, that's an evil man. That's a wrong man. Well, David, that's you. David was finally confronted with the truth. And I want you to understand, this is gonna be our, we're going to talk about the reaction to ourselves. Some of us, we're trying to hide from the mirror of who we are, and we act like our stuff is not stinking. And we're going to hide from it. And when someone finally confronts us, we can react two ways. We can say, get up out of here, or we can listen. And David listened. And David was so distraught, he rent his clothes. It said he tore his clothes. Because he know, he knew he was wrong. But he said, you know, I can hide this. I can hide it. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. And I'm just raising his son. See, I made it look good. I, the same thing I did for Jonathan and bringing his son into my palace, I'm going to do the same thing for this boy. I'm going to make it look good. Everybody's going to still think I'm so great. I'm the man who slew Goliath. I'm the man that, that, took, that, that ran from Saul, but did not slay him when I could have. I'm that man that y'all praise. I'm still that man. And God is saying, David, you're at a point you're not. You are at a point you have not repented. You are at a point you have not confessed. You are at a point where you are now struggling and you know inside when you now go to your bed, it is a bed of torture and not a pleasure. But you're trying to just move from it, hide from it. Many of us have that situation in our life. But we come to a point in Psalm 51 where David is talking to God. David is talking to God. And let's turn to Psalm 51. David is talking to God. After Nathan had talked to him, and he states to God, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. See, David understood. He has sinned against God. In the end, when I have wronged somebody, the person I have wronged the most is God. And God is saying, and David is saying, can you just blot it out? Many of us want to confess it, but we don't want to repent it. It's almost like your child saying, yeah, mama, I did that. Wouldn't that make you upset? Who, who tore my uh, flowers out here? I did it, mama. That will make you angry. If they had no remorse about it, if they were not sorry about it, if they didn't want to reform their ways, they just said, yeah, I did it. In our justice system, we put folks like that to death. Yeah, I kill all of them. Okay. So you kill all of them? Yeah. So you, do you feel certain? No. I killed them all. Okay. And then you know the jury's like, well, you need to go, you're crazy. But we act like that with our sin. We try to justify it. We try to justify it. Some of us who have stepped out, well, my wife don't do this. That's why I had to do that. 
Some of us who go off on folks, if they wouldn't have pushed my button, I wouldn't have. So we justify it. Understand, from the very beginning of our relationship in sin, we justify eating the fruit. It looks good to eat. We know the real ramifications. You're trying to be like God. Yeah, I hear that in the distance. I don't want to hear it because I got to justify why I'm doing this. I got to justify why I'm on central, why I'm giving people certain signals and not left or right. They done made me upset. We have to justify. And so you see here, verse 1 2, God, David is asking for forgiveness. He sinned. Now we get to verse 3 through 6. He says, For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is there before me against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity and sin, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's like, Father God, I have sinned and I sin against you. Father God, and I was born into sin. I was sinful. See, many of us, when we come to somebody, including the Lord, we want to come as, I, you know what, I know I did that a little wrong, but you know, don't you hate when somebody apologizes, but they really not saying sorry? Like, you know, I'm sorry that uh, you had to go through that, but you know, if you hadn't done this, then I wouldn't have to do that. I've always, including my mom or daddy, said it like that. I'm like, oh, you, could, you know you're wrong. Why you just going to say sorry? But then they justify the sorry. Well, David's not justifying his sorry. David is telling you, you know what, God? I'm jacked up. I'm not saying the sin made me do it, but I'm telling you, I was born jacked up, and I'm doing some jacked up stuff. I was born jacked up, and you saw some of the good things I did in your name, Lord. I praise your name. I play the heart, Lord, for you. I got songs for you. But, Lord, I know I messed up. I committed adultery. I forced a woman to lay down with me. I lied to a man, and I got him killed and others to cover my sin. And this goes back to your sin does not just affect yourself. Your sin has a ramification and a ripple effect outwards. Your life will always affect others, not just yourself. And so we get to the next verse. Behold, thou desires the truth in the inward parts, and the hidden parts thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. God desires truth. Not at the church house. He does. He wants the truth in your quiet time. He wants the truth in your closet. He wants the truth at your house. See, some of us, we got marriages that's a little funny. We all holding hands out in the public, but when we get in the car, girl, you be on, shut your mouth, and we get in the house, I got my room, you got your room. But we out in public, we all lovey-dovey. Kanye West and Kim Kardashian can't beat you. But when we get to the house, Ike and Tina can't beat you. <laughs> See, we keep playing these games. And God is saying, I desire the truth when you're at your darkest moment, when you are at the house, when no one can see you, I can see you. See, if you want to do, I'm blessed and highly favored here, cool. But if you're at the house cussing everybody out, what does that really mean? All you've done is be deceitful. 
And you know what? The world sees it. The world understands when you're not authentic and when you're fake. Because when they are finally asking, I need your help. Well, uh, I don't know. Because uh. see, when you're fake, you have nothing inside to make you genuine. Oh, uh, well, you might want to go down the street and see so-and-so. You had nothing to do with that now. Because that's beyond your holiness, your self-righteousness. And he's saying, I want to see truth in our inward parts. Purge me. And then so he gets to the next part. He wants to be clean. He has asked for forgiveness. He has confessed. And now he's saying, Lord, I'm broke down. I need you to cleanse me. We have to understand the addictions that we have in our life, the sins that we have committed, the, the strongholds that we have, we cannot ourselves destroy them. We need the Lord Almighty. If we could destroy ourselves, then why do we need Jesus? Because if we don't need Jesus, then what are we doing? The reason why we need Jesus, we cannot overcome sin. See, Eve really thought she was going to control it. Adam thought he was going to control it, but they could not. Cain thought he could control it. He could not. Abraham, when he lied, thought he could overcome it. Moses, when he hit the rock, thought he could overcome it. You can go over and over. Peter, when he denied, said, I'm not going to deny you Christ. And Christ said, yes, you will. He thought he could overcome it. Understand, sin is a bad master. And you will always be a servant. Who will you serve? See, sin has put us in some bad spots. Sin has put us in some, some situations that we thought we truly could control. Do you not know there's some people who tasted that one little joint, that one little line of cocaine, and they said, you know what, I can control it? They were smart. Some of these people are, were CEOs. They were intelligent. They thought they could control sin, and they could not. Do you think when David got out his bed, you know what, I want to go get with Bathsheba. No, he looked. And from that look, it became a desire. From that desire, became an action. And none of that time did he go to the Lord. None. And when you go through his, his actions, he never went to the Lord. Because you got to understand, I'm not strong enough. God give me an escape, and he's the escape. When he says, there's no uh, temptation that can overcome me, he's saying, I still got to go to him. It's not me that has the power, but it's him. I can do all things through him. I am more than a conqueror through him, not through me. And so now he's saying, you know what? I got to be clean. I need you to clean, cleanse me, Lord. I need you to purge me, purify me, almighty Father. I show, I need to be clean. This is where many of us know this verse. And creating me a clean heart, oh God. We come to a point where we're so broke down, we need to start over. We're so broke down that what we thought we came to the room with, you know, I, I, I slew Goliath, I, I, I got this education, I, I, I got these many things. We came to the room and we found out we still got some jacked up stuff in our closet yeah. that we didn't clean out. 
We still got some things that we might be looking on the internet at. We still got some things that we might have some relationships that we should not have. We might still have some some uh, some tendencies. Man, I need to get to Shreveport. I need to get to Vegas. I got that itch. And God is saying, do you want to be clean? Do you want me to cleanse you? Do you want me to reform you? Do you want me to mold you? Do you want me to take out the mess that's in your life? But do you trust me? Because in this whole phrase, he is telling God, I trust you. I need you, Lord. Have you come broke down enough to say, I need you, God? Have you come to the point where you're on your knees and you know there is no help but God? Have you come to that point? Some of us have waited so late, our marriages are gone. Because we never went to the Lord about our marriages. We all got some issues. But we haven't went to the Lord about our issues. Because many times we don't want to confront who we are. So he asked God to cleanse him. After the cleansing, he said, you know what? God will renew me. He said, after that, when you cleanse me, Lord, then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted, converted unto thee. David has enough sense to understand why I'm jacked up, I can't help anybody. Why I got this mess in my life, I can't help anybody. But Lord, when you do all this process through me, and they will see the process going through me, because see, I'm being now open, Lord. They're going to see the process, the change in me, Lord. Then I'm going to be able to be a salt and a light to the world. But when we, we have to realize for ourselves, well, there's a man in the mirror. How do you look today? Do you see yourself I got everything together. I don't know about those other people, but I got my life together. Is that the true reflection? Because some of us, the clothes we got on now, we think we do the toughest thing in the joint today. But if we got in the mirror, you'll see that little spot that you have right there. You'll see that stain that you got right there. you see that rip that you have right there. you see that hair is out of place. When you look in the mirror, the mirror will tell you the truth about yourself. When was the last time you looked in God's mirror at yourself? When was the last time you really looked and, and, and sought God? God, how am I with you? Am I in alignment with your will or am I just doing what I want to do? When was the last time you questioned your relationship with God? And what, what do I mean by that? When was the last time you did a self-examination of where you are? Last week we talked about how is your house, but this still is a recurring theme. God is wanting you to check yourself. Because many times we get a big head. I've been doing good, and I've been doing good. So I can do a little something now. I can say, well, I've been eating well, I've been eating salads. Monday through Saturday. Now I'm going to have me a nice big 24-ounce steak. Uh, steak. That's not what God is calling. But we will reward ourselves like that. I've been doing good. I've been treating all these people nice. It'll be all right if I go off on one person. It'll be all right if I go off on one person at the job. And God is saying, that's not the life I've called you to. I didn't call you to a life of compromise, but I called you to a life of promise. And so now God is saying, will you look at yourself in the mirror? And if that mirror does not reflect 
what you should be. Will you, and I'm not trying to go to Michael Jackson song, but will you change your ways? And to change your ways, one step, I'm going to give it to the Lord. To change your ways is not you trying to find a self-help book and trying to find Oprah and trying to find all these different matters. To change your ways is one step. I'm going to give it to the Lord and I'm going to operate through his will. So if you broke down this morning, I understand. I've been there and many times you feel like you're there daily. You broke down. But God is telling us there is a breakthrough when you submit to him. Amen? Amen. And so at the end, I just want you to understand, we have to have true repentance. We have to ask for God's forgiveness. We have to confess. But we need to repent. Turn away from our evil ways. And understand, God can use your brokenness. When you came to Christ, you were broken. And there are going to be times in your life where you're going to be broken up. God is calling you. He's calling you. He wants to fill in the gaps of your broken pot of your life. He wants to fill in the gaps. You know what he's going to fill it with? His son. He's going to fill it with his Holy Spirit. He's going to fill it with his word. All those things, the world cannot break. He's going to mean you so much better. He wants you. He wants you. He does not need you, but he wants you. He wants to mend you. He wants to build you something so great. That's why he has Jeremiah 29, 11 for you. He says, because I have a plan for you. And that plan, if you seek me, I'm going to bless you like, no, like nothing you could imagine. And I'll give you a peace that's unimaginable that the world cannot even touch. All right? We're going to open the doors of our church today. As we go through the series, I just want you to take notes. See where you are today. And, and if you broke down today, this is a good time to come and say, I want to become saved, or I need prayer, or I want to join victory. If you broke down, because victory must be about the breakthrough of God. And that truly means the salvation of his son, the deliverance of his son. That's what it means.